Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of The Money Multiplier Podcast, where I ask you, do your dollars make sense? I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and today we're going to dive into a fun topic about the advantages of using a specifically engineered whole life policy. And so last week, I talked about if I was producing a $50,000 a year income, what I would do and how I was using a segregated bank account to become my own banker in. And some question I get sometimes is, well, Hannah, You know, why would I use this engineered whole life policy? Why can't I just do this through my regular checking savings account down at the local bank? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the advantages of using a whole life policy with a mutual company that pays dividends versus central banks that are out there. And uh, before we get into it, a few announcements. As you've heard, we're on the road right now, so so come see me, baby. We'll be out there traveling around, and uh, I hope to see you at these live events that we're hosting this year. Um, registration will open up 30 days before the events, and you can see the dates and the towns that we will be in if you go to our website, themoneymultiplier.com, and uh, up there on the uh, homepage, you can see our events Click on there and uh, it'll give you access to the full calendar that you can see. So now, real quick too, I don't mention this on all episodes. If you send me an email, y'all, I will send you a copy of our free ebook, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery, written by my father, Brent Kessler, and our good friend, colleague, uh, uh, Chris Noggle, actually one of my mentors too. I still go to him like to this day, asking all certain types of questions. He's my cat lover friend as well. So uh, anyways, if you send me a uh, email, hand Hannah, spelled the same ways forwards and backwards, Hannah at themoneymultiplier.com. I will send you a copy of the free ebook. If you send me an email and you want a hard copy, I will even uh, ship you a copy. Just pay for the $3 of the shipping cost and I'll mail you a copy as well. All right, let's get into it. So why? Why do I want to use a whole life policy is my question. Actually, when I go out and I teach this stuff live, I get a lot of good responses back from the audience. Like when I'm talking about the machine, it's right after I explain the mysteries of money. You know, hey, how can I make money earning 4% while I'm paying six? I'm losing two, right? No. Anyways, you can go check that out in our presentation. I won't get into that into today's episode. But why do we want to use whole life? Why we want to use whole life to store, manage, and grow our wealth is because this is what the elite are doing. This is what the wealthy folks of the world are doing. The number one purchasers of whole life insurance in the world are conventional banks. Conventional banks own more in whole life insurance than all of their land and their buildings combined. And actually, a matter of fact, since 2013, they've even quadrupled their portfolio of how much whole life insurance that they actually own. So here's my question. Are banks stupid or are banks doing something the rest of us just don't know about? 
don't know. They're probably doing something. So that's all we're doing. We're not reinventing the wheel over here. I'm just going to mimic and imitate exactly what the elite and the wealthy are doing. And a matter of fact, did you actually know this? Whole life insurance has been around longer than our tax codes even been here, right? Tax codes only been here since 1913. So there's so many features and benefits that we're going to walk through today of what you can do inside of these policies that you can't do with any other vehicle on this planet. So that's all I'm doing. I'm just going to mimic and imitate and copy exactly what the elite and the wealthy folks are doing in the world. Here's one thing that I've also learned as well in my short years of living on this planet there is information for the informed and there's information for the uninformed. If you're going to walk down that path of being uninformed, you're just going to keep following the sheep and what the masses are doing and what the leaders and the politicians are teaching to you out there. Because you think everything that you see on the internet and that you read out there on the um, news channels, that they're all accurate and true, right? Oh, sorry. I may piss some of y'all off, but but there's a, there is something for the informed and there's something for the uninformed. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm just going to mimic and copy what those elite and wealthy folks are doing. So that's why we're using whole life insurance. So whole life is nothing more because there's no special juju or sauce that I'm doing over here. All I'm doing is I'm using the platform of a whole life insurance policy. Now here's the catch. It does have to be with a mutually owned insurance company. All right. You don't want a stock company to be doing your banking with because when you're working with a stock owned insurance company, the stock and the shareholders of that company are practicing in the dividends and the profits of the company. So we're usually mutually owned companies because what that means is, is that me, the policy holder, I share in all the profits, dividends, growth of that company. So we want to work with a mutually owned company and we definitely want to work with a company that has been around for a long, long time. All right. So all the companies that I do business with, they've been around since the late 1800s, early 1900s. So that is who we want to use. I'm not going to dive into it in today's episode. Go back and listen to my last episodes um, where I talk about what insurance company should I work with? That is literally what I named the title. I might even link it down below or put the exact um, number of what episode that was down below too. So, okay, we're using a whole life insurance policy. Why? Because this is literally what the top dogs of the world are doing. So I'm just gonna play the game right along there with them. Oh, and let me give you a resource. Go fact check me, y'all. I told you banks are the number one purchasers of whole life insurance. Go Google something called BOLI, B-O-L-I. It stands for Bank Owned Life Insurance. And you can look up the big banks that we all know the names of or the small hometown banks, but go look at their portfolio and go see how much they actually own in whole life insurance. And it's labeled right there underneath their tier one capital. So go out there and really go see how much that they own because they got to make it public to us out here. Okay. So that's number one. We're using whole life insurance. 
Not IULs, just real quick. We're not using IULs. We're not using VULs. We're not using EBAIGOs, LULs, okay? We are using whole life, nothing more than whole life. And I'm going to say that until I'm blue in the face. And I know some of y'all are going to come up and ask me, hey, Hannah, well, why not an IUL, right? Well, hey, I got past episodes, recordings on that too. The differences between IUL versus term versus whole life. So go back through my database of the episodes and I label it in there, the different products. I believe I called it product talk. And if you always, y'all, send me an email. If I'm not answering your questions on these episodes that I'm posting out, send me an email. I am an open book. I I am here all day long just answering questions and strategizing with folks how this concept works within their life. So, okay, let's move on. That's number one. We got to talk about that's whole life only. Why are we using whole life? Let's talk about the tax advantages that come from a whole life policy. So, okay, Hannah, in your last episode, you taught me how to become my own banker, how to build wealth through my own debts and expenses, but by using just a conventional bank account. Why are we using the policy? Tax advantages. When you start putting money inside of that policy, it's always paid with after-taxed money. So after-tax money goes into the policy, and now it's in an environment where it's growing tax-free for us. So after-tax money goes into the policy, and now it's growing tax-free. So growth is tax-free, the dividends that we get are tax-free, and that death benefit on that policy gets paid out to your beneficiaries tax-free. If you want to compare it to a bank account, hey, you are not getting tax-free growth inside of that bank account, right? That kind of leads me to another point. What's the difference? Well, we got a death benefit on that policy, All right, I know we don't talk about death benefit a lot, but death benefit is an asset. It can be counted as a plus or a pro to us. So we have a death benefit on this policy, whether we like it or not. So at the time of our passing, because it's not an if we die, it's a when we die or graduate or pass, that death benefit is going to get paid out to your beneficiaries. Your bank account doesn't have a death benefit. How about this one? Guaranteed growth. Guaranteed growth inside of that policy. When you're comparing it to a bank account, your bank account is what? Giving you less than 1% normally. Yeah, I know right now as this episode goes live, I know uh, Apple just posted out that they have a new savings account that's paying around 4.5%, right? So we're getting a guaranteed growth inside of that policy. When you include the dividends, it's 4% plus. Guaranteed interest is right around three and a quarter. So when you include the long history of payout dividends, it's anywhere from four and a half plus growth that you're getting inside of that policy. So we get a guaranteed growth that's not dictated on markets, the Fed, what the president is doing and, and taxes and all of that other crap going on in the world. Honestly, a whole life policy is nothing more than just a contract, a contract between you and the insurance company. So inside of there, there is a contractual promise guaranteed growth that they are going to give us each and every year. So, and most of the time it's higher than what's in our bank accounts, right? But I don't really bet on that. I just kind of 
just say that it is higher, right? We can kind of look at that as a difference or a pro of why I would use whole life versus my conventional uh, uh, bank account down at the local bank. Now, the policy. Policy is also free from judgments and liens in most states. If you ever get sued, God forbid, nobody can come or touch that money that's sitting inside of the policy. They could come after your bank account money, right? So all of that cash that's sitting inside there is protected from judgments and liens and lawsuits in most states. And if your state is not one of them, California, I'm sorry to tell you, you chose to live there. I didn't. If, if one of your states is one of them where it's not, you can perform a collateral assignment on that policy and then now it's protected. So there's ways around it. Let me give you a real life example. Have y'all heard of the guy named OJ Simpson? OJ Simpson was found not guilty in the criminal trial for killing the Goldman boy, but he was found guilty in the civil trial against the Goldman family. Did the Goldman family ever get any money? No. Go look it up. They didn't. You know why? Where was OJ's money? In a whole life insurance policy. Hmm, that's pretty interesting, right? Can't can't love him or hate him any difference. Can't hate the player, can can only hate the game, right? So so that that's what happened in that instance that the money was protected inside of that appreciating asset. How about this? The liquidity of it. All right. Now to go back to kind of point number one, specifically engineered whole life, right? The liquidity of that money. In these types of policies, you got to make sure that it's designed properly for the infinite banking concept. Sometimes when you hear about this stuff, maybe you're listening to my podcast for some time and you're working with a uh, another agent down the street, maybe a local hometown guy, and you take Nelson's book to him and you say, hey, I've been listening to this Hannah Kessler chick for a while and uh, she's been talking about this whole life policy. I can bank with it. You know, do you know anything about this? And then that agent goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all about this stuff. I can help you do this, right? Well, here's kind of one of my first questions. Well, if you've known about this, why in the hell have you not told me before? Sorry, but why have you not told me before? And if you really know about this, show me how I can use my policy to go get, uh, recycle and recapture and get all of the money back for all the dollars I will spend on any car purchases in my lifetime. They won't be able to do it. And then show me how I can make money all day long earning at a lower interest rate than what I'm borrowing. They won't be able to do it, okay? So so what I'm saying by this is, is that when you're going in and structuring a whole life policy designed for this concept, you gotta make sure that it's designed properly to have that high liquidity out of it. So what I mean by that is if it's structured properly, when you put your premium deposit into that policy, you have immediate cash in there available to take out right away, immediately. My definition of immediately is within 30 days. So within 30 days, you have cash, you can start taking that out right away and start using for debts, investments, payments, 
services, whatever you got going on. All right, so it's having the liquidity and the complete ownership and control. Here's my question, y'all. Just to take a quick break from this, why do we do the things with money that we would never do with things that money buys? What some of you folks will do is you will go and put money into a 401k, an IRA, one of those qualified government-sponsored plans, but you would never do that with things that money buys. You would never go, so me right now, I'm in my 20s, right? How long do you have to keep money inside of like a 401k account just to avoid the penalty? Age 59 and a half, if you didn't know that, it's a 10% penalty. So I'm going to have to wait about 30 or so years to be able to pull out that money just to avoid the 10% penalty. Would Would you ever go and buy a car and wait 30 years to start driving that car? No, that'd be stupid, right? Would you ever go buy a house and wait 30 years to go move into that house? No, that'd be crazy, right? Well, why are you doing things with money that you would never do with things that money buys? Isn't money nothing more than just a means of exchange? All we do all day long with money is we exchange it for the products, goods, and services that we're doing in life. Money for food, food for car. Oh, backwards, that's bartering system. Money for food, food for money, money for car, car for money, money for house, house for money, right? Money is nothing more than just a means of exchange. So when we are going out there and we are putting our dollars into an account that number one, we don't control, right? A lot of y'all think that when you're putting money away into those 401ks, the, the banks, the central banks accounts, those qualified plans, the IRAs, most of y'all think that you are in control of that money. In my personal opinion, those types of accounts are investments, right? My definition of an investment is, is that it can go up in value and it can also lose value. It involves risk. Well, inside of those other accounts, it can lose money. Because remember, those dollars that are sitting inside of there, they're being dictated based on what the market, the Fed, S&P, what all of those other variable components are doing out there in the, in the economy. So my question is, why are we putting money away into an account where we're leaving our nest egg of our wealth? Because the whole why we're doing this, right? We're putting dollars away so that in the future, I can live off of this money, supplement my income, come those retirement ages. So we're putting these good dollars today into these accounts that we can't control. There's no guarantees inside of those accounts. And on top of that, we're kind of just kicking the can down the street because do you agree, even though if you wait until age 59 and a half to take out the 10% penalty, you still got to pay tax on the money. And what is our largest eroder of wealth? It's taxes, right? 
So why I'm using the policy instead of those other accounts that I could set my money in is it's because I have the liquidity, the control, and the ownership of those dollars. When my money is inside of my policy, it's not going to go up or down based on what the markets are doing. Insurance companies are within their own private sector. They are not determined with what these other financial institutes are doing out there. They are their own private organization. So I get a guaranteed interest rate. The worst thing that can ever happen inside of my policy contract is the company just simply doesn't pay a dividend. However, all the companies that I do business with and I hold my policies with, they've been in business for since the late 1800s, like I mentioned before, to early 1900s. And all of these companies have been paying dividends for more than 122 plus consecutive years. It's pretty strange when you start to peel back the onion and see, well, hey, Why are these insurance companies paying out dividends during these total times of economic depression? Oh, that's some interesting, interesting stuff. Hopefully you've been listening to my Creature of Jekyll Islands podcast series that I've been doing here today. So this is what I'm saying. All I'm going to do is I'm just going to use my good dollars today and I will then pay them back with weaker dollars in the future. So instead of me just using a segregated uh, bank account down at the local bank, I am now going to just use my policy, my my high cash value banking policy as nothing more than just my savings vehicle because I know my money is protected in there. Here's something else. Again, to go back to the series that I've been doing, fractional reserve banking versus Austrian economics. Down with the insurance companies, they can never lend out more money than what I they have on hand, right? So $1 always has to protect that $1. They can never lend out more money than what they got back on their reserves. Banks, Banks are in the lending business. That's what they do. They lend money out to you or to other people and they play this game that, well, I hope and I think that not everybody's gonna come and do a run on the banks at the same point in time. Okay, I had to make a little pause there because I thought this would be fun. Actually, I just read this last night and I think I wanna bring it to the audience. I thought it'd be really, really good. Um, This is a book, another recommendation, add this book to your wealth building library. Um, This is by Robert Murphy. He's an economist, an Austrian economist as well. And he has a book called Understanding Money Mechanics. So in this little section of Robert's book, um, it's titled The Function and Origin of Banks. So he states, the reason a book on the mechanics of money must also cover banking is that to put it bluntly, banks enjoy the legal ability to create money. In chapter four, we will explain this process in much greater detail. But for now, let's let us quote the Chicago Federal Reserve on the historical origins. Banks can build up deposits by increasing loans and investments so long as they keep enough currency on hand to redeem whatever amounts the holders of deposits want to convert into currency. This unique attribute of the banking business was discovered many centuries ago. It started with goldsmiths. 
As early bankers, they initially provided safekeeping services, making a profit from vault storage fees for gold and coins deposited with them. People would redeem their deposit receipts whenever they needed gold or silver to purchase something and physically take the gold or coins to the seller who, in turn, would deposit them for safekeeping, often with the same banker. Everyone soon found that it was a lot easier simply to use the deposit receipts directly as a means of payment. These receipts, which became known as notes, were acceptable as money since whoever held them could go to the banker and exchange them for metallic money. Then, bankers discovered that they could make loans merely by giving their promises to pay or banknotes to borrowers. In this way, banks began to create money. More notes could be issued than the golden coin on hand because only a portion of the notes outstanding would be presented for payment at any one time. Enough metallic money had to be kept on hand, of course, to redeem whatever volume of notes was presented for payment. Once the banker, such as the goldsmith, realized that his deposit receipts were treated by at least some members of the community as being as good as money. He could lend out some of the coins that his customers had deposited with him, even though the customers still had held paper receipts, entitling them to immediate redemption. The whole operation was viable so long as the banker always had enough coins on hand to satisfy whoever might show up to demand their deposits back. This book will focus on the mechanics and economic implications of the fact that banks have the legal ability to create money, but we'll wrap up our historical sketch here with a note on the judicial treatment. In such a situation, the person acting as a warehouser obtains physical possession, but not legal ownership of the item in question, and is obligated to act as their custodian until the actual owner wishes to retrieve them. It would be a breach of contract for the manager of a storage facility to rent out the student's couch even if he had it safely back in her storage unit when she returned back from summer break. However, when the deposits items are fungible goods, such as wheat or oil, then the relationship is more nuanced. With such an irregular deposit, the depositor isn't entitled to the specific physical items that were handed over for safekeepings, but instead merely expects to receive comparable items back. In the typical scenario, this is the type of deposit applicable to money. The people handling over coins to the goldsmith didn't care about receiving back those particular coins. They merely wanted to be assured of obtaining the same number of comparable coins when they redeemed their deposit receipts, i.e. banknotes, i.e. our dollar bills. Y'all, this is what fractional reserve banking is. This is what I've been telling y'all. As a result of various court rulings, it is now standard to treat the deposit of money with a bank as a loan 
so that the depositor becomes a creditor of the bank and the actual ownership of the money transfers to the bank even for the demand deposits which are payable upon notice. Rightfully or wrongly, it is this legal treatment that allowed the goldsmith to lend out some of the coins that his depositors had placed with him for safekeepings and which allowed modern banks to engage in fractional reserve banking. What I'm saying with this is, is that this is what I'm talking about, why I feel safer keeping the money with the insurance companies than what I do central banks. Because central banks, when you hand your money over to them, you really think your deposits are made upon demand. It's just because they're playing this game that we hope and we think not everybody's gonna come and, requ- and request all of their deposits out at one point in time. Why do you wanna play that gambling game of, hey, Mr. Banker, if I leave $1 there with you, you you can now lend out anywhere from nine to $10 for that $1. How fun of a game is that to play? So when I'm comparing using a bank account with a whole life policy to do all of my banking needs like this with, I am not having that risk tied that my money is going to be there or it's not going to be there. Because here's the thing, if you go back into your policy contract and you read it word for word, In there, the policy owner, they hold first rights to any cash or equity inside of that policy contract. You, the policy owner, hold the rights and the ownership of it. Insurance companies can never deny you a loan if you want to go and call up and request money out for literally anything. If you want to go use your policy money and go down to the casino and gamble it away, by all means, you have full rights and liberty to do so. So that's another advantage of why we're using the policies. I have full liberty, rights, control, ownership, liquidity of that account and that policy that I'm going to be using. Lastly, here's what Nelson talks about is creating the perpetual tailwind in our financial life, the uninterrupted compounding interest, right? When you start to funnel money through the policy first, now starts that time clock of the uninterrupted compounding that's going to happen on those dollars. So even though if you go and you funnel cash in and now you got a cash bucket, let's make believe it's 10,000, you want to take out that $10,000 loan to go do X, Y, and Z business with, your 10,000 never left your policy. It's still growing and compounding while you're out here using the money in the real world. This is what's called opportunity cost of our money. This is what is called what um, Albert Einstein says is the eighth wonder of the world. Those who understand compound interest will earn it and those who don't pay it. We have just been taught from a young, young age to be consumers of the government and the central banks and be in their game to keep paying this compound interest that they're charging us. And finally... The other one I want to go over is just the freedom of choice, right? I have the freedom of choice when I'm using my policy money. When I go out and I request loans from banks, other financial institutes, don't I got to pay them back, pay them back with interest on that same date of every single month and I can never skip a beat in doing it or I'm going to get penalized in some way. Oh, there's another one. Penalties, fees, 
None of that happens with inside of the policies. These are nothing more than just your savings vehicle. Your policy is not an investment. It is not a qualified plan. There's no fees or costs that you are paying for that account for folks to manage your money. No, this is something totally different and just totally outside the realm. And I think the only reason that a lot of us haven't been taught about this stuff is just because this is not the normal way of thinking and this is not what your parents are doing. It's not what your friends, your colleagues, your siblings are doing with their money. And so I think that's the hardest thing about what I teach is that it's not hard. I mean, all the facts are there. I'll give you all the resources and you take all the time in the world to go do all the training that you need to do to catch yourself up to speed with this whole concept. But with these policies, it is nothing more than just that savings vehicle and acts no different with it. When you pay money back into the policy, now it's showing up as cash that's available in there. Take out the money whenever you want for whatever you want at any time that you need to use the money for. When you take it out, now you're using that money in the real world. That's literally nothing more than what it is and that's how you rinse and repeat and keep funneling the cash flow through that policy. So it's just to safely store and manage and keep the money liquid in a protected asset that nobody can come or touch or or you can't be not be denied that money. You're still hedging yourself against inflation. I just don't know of another vehicle on this planet with these features and benefits that a whole life policy has. Hopefully I summed it up just a little bit for you about what's going on over here why we're using whole life, the benefits of it, the tax benefits, the protection, the ownership, the control, the liquidity of those accounts, literally nothing more than just our savings vehicle. And with that, let's get into our listener writing questions. So here's the first one. Hannah, how can I use my policy for business purposes? Okay, very easy, same thing. Now, I would never have your business own a policy, all right? You never want to have your business own any appreciating assets. But what I will do is Hannah will request money out of the policy and it will go to Hannah's account. Hannah will then loan money to her LLC or S Corp or C Corp or whatever business account that you got over there. Hannah will loan money to her LLC The LLC now will pay Hannah back with interest. And the LLC does whatever they want with the money, you know? Marketing expenses, employees' overhead costs, financing some equipment for the business, right? I mean, literally, whatever you got to use the money for, you can use the money for that business expense. So all I'm doing now is I'm just pulling it from the policy rather than just pulling it from a regular savings or checking account down at the local bank. And remember, the whole why is because when you start to funnel the money through the policy first, well, now starts the time clock of the uninterrupted compounding that's happening. All right, next one. How do I have the conversation of talking with my CPA about my policy? Here's the thing, y'all. The whole life policy is very simple when it comes to taxes. All we're doing is we're putting after-tax money into the policy, and then now it's in an environment where it's growing tax-free for us. So really with the CPA, 
You just got to tell them that, hey, I'm putting dollars away into this policy. Taxes with the policy. After tax money goes into the policy. And um, now it's just in a tax-free environment where it's growing tax-free. So really everything else that you do outside of that policy, it's up to you, up to you and and how those taxes and what you got going on out there. Do you get your trusts and foundations set up like Suleiman Hamani teaches us? You know, so anything that you do outside the policy would be taxed as ordinary income unless you're doing something specific or special with your accountant. Um, now, some sometimes a question I'll get is, Hannah, can life insurance premiums be counted as a deduction for the business? That is going to be a question for your CPA or your accountant. I have heard around the grapevine that you could, if you have an S-corp, write off premiums into a life insurance policy as a write-off for the business. I do not know. I'm not a tax professional. Big old asterisk there. But uh, just something else to uh, go talk to your um, professional about. Uh, So, as always... Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. And uh, ask yourselves, I mean, is your dollars making sense? Um, You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, all of the social medias, The Money Multiplier. Go out, you can go search up me. I got my own personal channels out there. Hannah underscore Kessler, K-E-S-L-E-R, one S on Kessler. Hannah spelled the same ways forwards and backwards. And um, until next time, I'll catch you then. Bye now.